Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. Welcome back to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, alongside Paul Guillieri. Hello. How are you doing this evening, Jason? I am lovely. Uh, I am so psyched to get after it. Um, we are completing our review of Gigaton, tracks 7 through 12 today, and then we will do our usual lyric and live cut of the week. So let's not mince words. Other, we're seeing each other on the flip side of this album here, huh? We are. We are. Or, or so, I assume. I don't own the vinyl yet. Is is 7 o'clock the, uh, the flip of the vinyl? Oh, you know what? I don't know. Huh? I don't know. You, know. you know what? We're both wrong because it's three sides. Oh. Three discs. It is one and a half vinyl. Wow. Yes. So, and by the way, a, on the back side of the second vinyl, where there's nothing, they've actually etched in a little phrase, and there's like two or three different ones that you could get. Oh. How about that? No, no code of them. Yes. I, I can't remember what mine says, uh, but it's, it's a thing of words. <laughs> All right. Let's do this thing. Never Destination, kick us off. Yeah, okay, so we left off with 7 o'clock in our last podcast, Jason. And this particular podcast, we're picking up here with this track, Never Never Destination. Now, for me, this track, you know, (laughs) it's that customary Ed song. You know, it's like, I think of tracks like Swallowed Whole and Gone. And you and I went back and forth about this uh, off air. Uh, where you said blasphemy, you know, it's, it's so much better than Swallowed Whole and, and, and songs like Gone. I agree, it is a better track in, in many respects. However, Never Destination to me, while better than both, musically, it has that like supersonic or big wave feel to it, for me at least. Uh, it's not a bad song by any stretch of the imagination, but I would not quibble with anyone who said, hey, this is the most disposable song on the album, and it might actually be better served as a B-side to one of the singles. I wouldn't dis- necessarily disagree with that, you know? I mean, I'd love to know what what was scrapped in favor of a track like this. Um, I don't know, it just, if I had to rate it on our one through five scale, to me, the song kind of slots in somewhere around a two and a half, uh, maybe a three. Um, it's certainly not something I would ever skip, but I don't think the track necessarily has an identity that allows it to kind of sustain itself or augment itself beyond the construct of the album itself. It's just there, I suppose. I don't know. I'm hand- handing it off to you at this oh, point. Oh man, the chasm couldn't be greater. Mm. Oh, my goodness. My first I note. So. My first note when I was writing, typing along the other day when I was listening to these tracks again for this. For this review is we're back baby so coming after coming off the, on, off the heels of for me a very disappointing seven o'clock that's my the first thing that i thought of the first two verses in the chorus do not let you up for air 
they just come at you. Uh, the imagery in the lyrics is fantastic. Ed feels like he's full of life. The band feels like they're really up for this, which is kind of, for me, my wheelhouse with this band, when everybody feels like they're up for it. Um, the little extra gusto and attitude from Ed and those marginal at the end of the chorus, you know, kind of just tosses that in. I just, you just feel like he's really up for it. Like he's not just recording it because he needs to put a song together. Um, Mike is still crushing it. Uh, little bouncy things in the rhythm section from him are fantastic uh, with, with Stone. I mean, um, there's a really sneaky little piano bit after uh, the chorus post the solo that I just I didn't hear for the first time until last time. And it just it's a cool little touch from Josh again. Um, I've never heard the phrase gaping maw before. I had to look it up. And I'm like, that is a really cool phrase. Mm-hmm. I've never heard anybody say that before. On top of that, you've got uh, Ed thanking a fictional character in Bob Honey, who the Sean the Sean Penn tome the Sean there, Penn it? book. <laughs> it's about a guy who kills the elderly. It's like, what? Where is that coming from? That's crazy. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. I think this is gonna be one of those songs that's really fun live. The band's gonna have a lot of fun with this. Um, I the, the only thing that kind of threw me. Um, you know, by the way, this song is not perfect for me. I'm gonna give it a four. But I think the wow. extra verse at the very end is a little necessary. It kind of brings everything down when it doesn't need to be coming down. Um, but I think it's a real fun song uh, with a lot of energy, some fun lyrics. Everyone seems like they're having a good time. So, yeah, four for me. It, it is fun. You know, it reminds me on some levels of a track like Infallible from Lightning Bolt, where in, in no way, shape, or form are they musically similar, musically or even lyrically. But a song like infallible i heard it on the album and it didn't necessarily grab me but then i heard it played live and when mike comes in with that crunching guitar i was like wow this song hits you know and never destination for me i feel like if i hear it live perhaps it's going to speak to me in a different way pearl jam a lot of members of the band actually once said that they they basically record albums so that they can go play live. You know what I mean? I, I'm yeah. very curious to see. I'm not, I mean, they're a very different band now than they were when they said that, but I'm very curious to see how this, this particular track sounds live. Yeah. There was one of the things I, I saw on the boards, um, as we were all kind of experiencing the release of this, uh, and for me it was, well, I, I want songs that are going to slot in nicely with the live show, because for me, that's, that's the pinnacle of, of Pearl Jam is going to the show and experiencing all these songs in the moment. Um, and some songs translate better than others to the live setting. And I was kind of met with a lot of resistance. Like, well, this is this is the art. This is what they've given us. You know, the, we have plenty of songs that are good for live shows that came out years ago. And I'm like, that, why wouldn't you want every song to be something that they could throw into set list and it works amongst everything else? Um, and I just think... Um, I remember telling you that I thought um, the title tracks of Lightning Bolt was going to be a great live song. And I think I was right because whenever I've heard that song live, it's killer. The crowd gets up for it. It's one of the few that they still play consistently, even like well after the album cycle or the tour cycle completed. When I saw them a couple years ago, you know, they were just on one of those, I think Can't Deny Me actually came out a couple months before, but they weren't on an album cycle. They were just playing shows, the Home and Away shows. And that was one of the, I think, two, maybe three songs of the album that they played and the crowd ate it up. So when I think about this song, I I can imagine myself jumping along and bopping along 
in the pit to it. And so that kind of gets me stoked. Yeah, you know, when social distancing is over <laughs> and uh, Pearl Jam makes their their uh, Jimmy Fallon debut for, for this particular album, I could see Never Destination being the track they play, you know? So I'm excited to hear it live. I, I, I think if I hear it live, it's going to speak to me on a more profound level in, in the sense that it's just going to grab me more, you know? So this particular song, I actually liked a lot more than I thought I would. Um, I think I was on, where was I? I was on iTunes the other day, just kind of like surfing. And I said, you know what? I already own this album, but eh, screw it. I'm just going to type in Gigaton. And I just want to see what uh, what's selling, you know, like what's what songs, what tracks are actually being bought. And if you click on the album itself, Take the Long Way is arguably downloaded the least amount of any other track. Really? On, on, yeah. I mean, it, it, take it, take the long way and buckle up. So, you know, from a critical standpoint, this song and the song we're about to talk about after this, they seem to be what some might say are the, uh, the, the weaker parts of, of the album. I don't necessarily agree with that. And here's why. So this particular track had a very distinctively uh, riot act feel to me. Like think Ghost or, mm-hmm. or a track like Get I get Rose. that. You know, it definitely has that Soundgarden sound to it as well. And the female backing, which I believe is done by Megan Grandall. Grandall or Grandall, I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing her name but she adds vocals to the track and i for me it brought an element of like we 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 don't ever hear that in the studio you know i mean you hear it in a track like crazy mary but rarely do we ever hear female vocals backing in any capacity lyrics in a pearl jam song and honestly i felt like she actually saves what otherwise profiles as a rather uninspired chorus so this is a matt cameron song it has Matt playing those very Alice in Chains inspired metal riffs. I'm not saying that I'd kick track out of bed here, Jason, believe me. But I'm also not so sure that I'm all too excited to call it uh, a track that I would call very often either. Uh, but it is, it, it's solid enough, you know what I mean? So I'd give it like a two and a half. A two and a half? Two and a half, three. You know, it's, it, okay. I won't ever skip it. Let's put it that way. It's not a song. Uh, evacuation off binaural. God, I, 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 my finger is like itchy. Well, I'm ready to skip whenever that track comes up. I don't have that with this track. I feel like, uh, like with the track like Ghost or Get Right, it's a track that I, I'm inclined to, to listen to. I'll move to it. I'll, you know, play my air, air drum guitar or um, air drum guitar. I'll play my air drums or my air guitar or pound on the steering wheel while I'm driving. I, I, I definitely dig it. I do. I would agree. It's um, when I first heard it, my initial reaction was, well, as someone who likes when they go for it and get a little heavier and a little more aggressive, I'm, I'm not really digging this thing. But having listened to it more and more, the good parts of it are kind of rising to the top. The cream is rising. Um, 
I love Matt and he's a savage on this thing and he gets really weird and that's kind of fun and different. Um, the guitar tone is great, uh, very aggressive, which I do like. Um, Mike really digging in. I think I read that Mike did all the main rhythm stuff. I know Matt did um, those, little, those little ditties uh, in between. Uh, funny enough, it's those little riffs in between the verses that I don't care for. Um, which I actually like. <laughs> the pre-chorus yeah. and the chorus... Uh, I think are really cool all around. I think the drums, the guitars, the vocals are all pretty solid. Um, I think you're right. Um, the female vocals in the background really make this thing soar. I find myself really singing along to the chorus now. Um, and it's because it feels bigger um, with her on there. Um, I think that was a great choice by Josh. Uh, I think the lyrics in the chorus are very cool. Uh, again, Mike with the all-star solo, fantastic stuff. Um, the breakdown at the end, while I didn't like it in the beginning, I think has a really cool groove to it. Uh, and they let, um, what, what was it once again? Grandall? Uh, Megan. Megan uh, Grandall. Grand, Grandall? Grandall? Yeah. It's again. Well, what she does in the, in the breakdown at the end is fantastic as well. Kind of let her out of the cage a little bit there um, and let her do her thing. And she really soars. Um, and I'm actually delighted at how much more I like this now than the first time I heard it. Um, I don't think it's amazing, but I think it's very, very solid. Um, it's a strong three and a half for me. Um, it's possible that with more listens, it could creep up. Um, but you know, that remains to be seen. You know, it's funny you mentioned this idea that uh, you re-listen to these songs and they grow on us, right? And I had somebody say to me the other day, you know, you must be a super fan. I said, why? And he goes, well, you don't even like a certain song and you keep listening to it over and over again until you convince yourself that you do. <laughs> kind of, I, sometimes. Well, but you know what? I, I disagreed. I dissent to that point. And here's why. There's a great Mark Twain quote, and it goes something like this. He says, a classic is something that demands to be reread. Okay, so when I listen to a Pearl Jam song, if I immediately dislike it, I mean, I, I just have a great distaste for it. I am not really inclined to keep listening to it. But usually there's something in there that says, let's give this another go. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I, I don't, it, it could be the slightest element of the song. So I feel like with the band, for the most part, with a lot of their songs, uh, it's not just, hey, let's just, you know, create our own echo chamber and, and 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 forge a celebration of music that we're not even sure we like but we're going to say what we do you know I, I i honestly feel like a lot of these songs that we're talking about specifically this particular track and the one we're about to get to they they do demand re-listening and i think there's a quality to them that that gives them merit that wouldn't be there otherwise all right let's move on it's buckle up and uh i'll let you leave this one off so this particular track here for me it's the parachutes of this album it's it's kind of got this quirky beatles-esque you know, feel to it. It's that Beatles-esque oddity that finds its way onto a record despite conventional history with the band. 
Now, part of what makes this particular song work is that the band is creating a story about people. And they have a tendency to make memorable music when they do this. Uh, Josh Evans in that Variety interview said that Stone wrote this song about hospital rooms and people dying and children and parents. And for me, it's basically like the coronavirus anthem, man. I mean, and he didn't even know he had written that at the time. I like the novelty of it. I find it a, a lovely departure from what we're used to from the band. I enjoy its inclusion on this album in the same way I do the inclusion of parachutes on avocado. It's very pleasant. It's very whimsical. It's a, a pleasant, whimsical departure from the norm. And and uh, I'm not going to dish too much on the lyrics, but it, like I said, just it's correlation to what we're dealing with currently, even though it wasn't necessarily written to reflect that. It's it's such a timely song without intending to be. And I think that's what gives it, uh, it I don't want to say it's magic, but it's it's uh, it, ele- it elevates the track. Uh, for me, it's weird. The, the song doesn't seem to have too many elements to it. It's a very simple song in a lot of ways. Um, the first time I heard it, I could not stand it. Um, the riff, Stone's riff, really wasn't doing anything for me. I, I, I appreciate that it's a little bit different, um, but it wasn't doing a whole lot for me. Jeff's bass, before the lyrics come in, kind of starts and stops and then starts again. Like I couldn't tell what he's doing. It sounds incomplete to, to my ear. Um, eventually he comes in during the actual verse um, with a consistent with consistent playing but that kind of threw me um, on top of that the way that, I mean, maybe it's just me but the way that Ed sings the words buckle up just irritates me it just it just doesn't sound like a lyric can I ask you a question okay what if the album opened with the song with this song mm-hmm Think, no code opening with sometimes. Um, I think thematically on so many levels. I don't mind like a this, simple song. It just. I'm not suggesting the album should open with this song. Sure, I'm just sure. saying that. It, it, imagine resequencing the album and mm-hmm. whether or not that would change. That your could be a good pod. Because if you take it, could be. But if you take a song like sometimes and you move it somewhere else on the album, I don't know if I enjoy it quite as much as I do as this campfire like let's go into the tent and listen to music and then boom hail hail right in the face right I, I there's something beautiful about its place yeah. in the album this song happens in the middle okay buckle up happens more towards the middle of the album actually more towards the, the latter half of the album so I wonder if you moved it around if you would have if you would have perceived it differently I will say that anything is possible uh, I will also say that I still I mean, you just told me what Josh Evans was told by Stone about what this is supposed to be about. I still don't know what the hell this thing's about. The lyrics, they're very, in ways they're very literal, but at the same time, I don't know what he's trying to tell me. Um, Is this this an abortion thing? Is this a giving life thing? Is this... Uh, a homicide thing is it something is it not something as obvious I think as it's, that it's it's like you are okay so there was a generation that was meant to guide you right on a parental level um and now you need to buckle up because you need to take the wheel so to speak and no i'm not categorizing this as a, a another pearl jam driving song right it's not mm. 
um, MFC or, or Riri Mir or some of the other driving songs. I'm not suggesting su- suggesting that, but I do feel like this particular song is very much uh, it fits in line with the theme of the album that this is a call to arms and it's time that we act. Uh, and, and whether, regardless of what it is, whether it's act on climate con- uh, c- control, whether it's acting on, um, you know, racial inequality, there's so many different things that we can. If we that's can what they're up. going for, I never would have gotten that from this song. I wouldn't. Yeah, have but that's from- the beauty of that. It's it, there's a serendipity to it in the sense that they didn't know coronavirus was going to hit, and yet it did. And here's this track no, no but you didn't in the middle really of the album that, that speaks to that and you know what i mean it, but you didn't me, really you mentioned that you mentioned other political things that this could be speaking to so if, the, even if they were writing it about that that still wouldn't come to my mind ever with the lyrics and how they're supposed to be metaphors for that or the vibe or the music itself i just don't understand the point of the song i don't get it well, again, like I think it's this idea of like you're in a hospital and there's these people dying and then there's another generation that's looking at these people and they're suddenly realizing I'm now on my own. You know, like I, I need to start coming up with the answers, not only for myself, but also for my own children, where for a good portion of my life, I had somebody else to look to for those answers. And I think that that really speaks right now. Um, it does, and I'm so I'm I'm just so surprised that you got all of that out of those lyrics because there's so few. And which admittedly, which, which, I I didn't get that out of the lyrics the first time I heard it. I mean, I read the interview with Josh Evans, and I said, okay, let me go back to these and see that. And I think sometimes it's unique when a band, you know, they'll be very um, transparent about what the lyrics mean, and then other times they're like, oh, you know, we. We want it to mean for you whatever it means for right. you, you know. I and I hate that shit because it's yeah. like just tell me what What's it meant about? to you. Yeah. And if I if I want to repurpose it, I will. You know what I mean? Right. But uh, I want to know what it meant to you. You created it. What does it mean to you? So in this particular instance, we got that out of stone, you know. And so even though I may not have necessarily have been able to see that in the lyrics, if I had read them the first time on my own. Now knowing that context, it adds an element to the song that would otherwise be absent. And well, I will I will go back and re-listen now having that information. Um, it's funny. I dislike I don't dislike, but I, I'm not a huge fan of this song for this for similar reasons as I am to seven o'clock. And the lyrics are on the opposite end of the spectrum. One's completely on the nose, and one couldn't be more abstract to me. <laughs> It's too obscure for it. It's like pick a let's find a middle ground that's like, oh, that's that's clever. Wow, okay. That's just me. But there let's you. move on. And we move on to comes then goes. Uh, I'll start things off here. This is um this is another six minute song. It is, it's all Ed. Uh, I really enjoy the little jangly guitar at the outset and at the, um, at the end. I think it's a really cool bookend to the song. Um, Ed in an acoustic um, kind of by himself is, I find to be great a lot. Um, the lyrics in this song, I don't know if it's necessarily the best of the, of the bunch, but I like them, I think, the most. Um, 
and his delivery and cadence is right up my alley. Um, it's the chord changes that go along with it as well. Um, he's great at telling a story, especially a depressing one. Um, and this is obviously, well, not obviously, but it's presumably about Chris Cornell. Um, but it could be about anybody that you knew um, that is gone, possibly from taking their own life. Um, that's there's an inference there, of course. Um, but it's kind of like a beautiful love letter goodbye. Um, I remember some people were saying uh, that they thought, and we'll get to this later, that River Cross brought tears to their eyes. Uh, I I'm not much of a crier, but this song got some of those emotions to me. And I don't even know anybody who's committed suicide uh, personally. Uh, obviously, we all know somebody who has died. So I would try to, in the moment, find that person in my mind and apply this. And you get that. Um, you could argue, though, that this could have helped from a full band. I absolutely get that argument. Um, it really could have elevated this, even if it was just from a simple, subtle way, like they do in Just Breathe, um, as opposed to a full-on thing, like a like an off-he-goes kind of thing. But you know, at the end of the day, it, it really didn't bother me. Um, I, th- I think I, I had to look up what vivisection was. That's how cool <laughs> some of these lyrics are, you know? Um, evidence in the echoes of your mind leads me to... So you're fine with that syllable count, but but not in a song like, uh, what was it? Uh, it's All Right? What, what was the track that no, you... No, 7 O'Clock had the word salad, and this track <laughs> does not have the word salad, okay? <laughs> okay. There, there, might, there might be the only one or two lines in the entire song that has an extra syllable but it didn't bother me because it was it was an anomaly but um and i don't know if you heard i was reciting another lyric there but evidence in the echoes of your mind leads me to believe we missed the signs i mean jesus that hits you right right in the cockles you know um and at the end you have these really subtle electric guitar feedback coming up um and i and maybe it was really late when i was listening to this but it almost felt like it was their idea of Chris responding to the letter to the letter at the very end of the song saying like, Hey, it's all right. It's cool. I'm right guys. And that's kind of how I took it. Um, so I, I took, I gave it a four. I thought I really liked huh. it. Um, uh, don't do it to me. The don't conflict do it to me, continues, Come on now. Jason. <laughs> okay. Look, so a lot of people are, really gravitating towards this idea that it's it's probably about Chris Cornell in the same way that a lot of folks kind of, you know, latched onto the idea that immortality was about Kurt Cobain. Um, and as you mentioned, a lot of folks have mentioned uh, publicly admitting, actually, that they weep when they hear this song. It just doesn't speak to me that way. I don't know why. Um, I still maintain that the song might be better with the whole band backing it, similar to how they did with Better Man or, or even a, an Ed song like Sleeping By Myself on Lightning Bolt, which if you listen to his ukulele album, you can kind of get a taste of what that feels like without the rest of the band. I've called this song the sequel to Off He Goes. I mean, at least six minutes long, it just loses me with just Ed and a guitar. I feel like it, it's hard not to think that the song wasn't heavily influenced by Chris's death. I do understand that, and I, I love and respect that. Eddie's tribute to Lane Staley, I felt, 
which I think was a kind of like a, a, a I don't want to call it a secret song, but it borders on that on Lost Dogs. Uh, that particular track was just him and his guitar as well. So I see some parallels here in that respect. However, if you want to make the argument that Immortality was the elegy for Kurt Cobain, it's a pretty compelling argument that this type of grief is best served with the band sharing it together through music. You know? Fair point. Okay. L- lyrically, it's a, it's a gorgeous song. I mean, I, 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 have, I take no umbrage with the lyrics in this song. In the interview with Josh Evans, he says, different people tried different things, but anytime we added something, it, it didn't actually add something. The rest of the band realized their part for this song was to not play. Why mess with it? And then he added, there's a great Thelonious Monk quote, don't put all the music in the song. Let some of it happen in the audience's mind. In the flow of the record up to this point, You've had all these tempos and sounds. This gives you a break. Sonically, it's simple, but emotionally, it's very complex. Okay, Josh, I hear that. I agree with the complexity. And perhaps with time, I'll agree with all of that as well. But for now, it feels like an acoustic cut of a song that would normally have the band behind it. And I'm inclined to think, you know, I want to hear what the band had added you know i would love to hear what they had added so i could be the again it's not my place to be the judge of whether or not those sounds should be in the song or not but since i'm reviewing the track there's a part of me that feels like what made immortality unique was was how that death affected the rest of the band and to be perfectly frank with you i don't think that kurt Kurt cobain's death affected the band in nearly the same way to nearly the same degree that Chris Cornell's did. And I would have loved to have heard the rest of the band um, kind of sharing their and expressing their feelings in this song because it feels to me like it would have been a wonderful logical extension to what Temple of the Dog was. And we just didn't get that. It was just Ed. And, and I, I, I'm glad it was just Ed in the sense that he deserves that platform. But in terms of it being an include in, in included in the album, I don't know. I just it, it just felt like a song at that at its its runtime six minutes long. It it just needs more to me. I, it's, I, I, it's a long it's a long song. Um, it doesn't. It feel felt that long, long to me too. Oh, see, it felt long to you. It didn't feel long to me. Mm. Um, it's almost like what what would you have thought of thumbing my way if it was just Ed? Because he has done that live before. He has, but it's half the length, isn't it? I mean, it's... But is that your only thing? Is that your biggest craw? Yeah, is... but, but, well, no, but that song, it feels like a hitchhiker song. Like, you're just thumbing your... Like, it's him on his own. This song, to me, there's an intimacy to it. In the That's same the way thing. that you get out of uh, of a song like Off He Goes. It's it's his elegy to his friend, if, if it's about Chris Cornell. And I, I love and respect that. I, it just feels too long to me. I, I think if it was three and a half, four minutes and 14, you know, something like that. Hmm. Maybe I'd feel differently, but after a while, it just feels like, okay, I don't feel like this is going anywhere. You know what I mean? And that sounds callous, but (laughs) I don't feel like the song is necessarily going. You need more dynamics for this type of song. I need more dynamics. Like Off He Goes was a considerably longer song than one would expect, but the rest of the band has a role you know i find it interesting that i didn't have a problem with the lack of dynamics in a six minute song here but i did with seven o'clock with a full band isn't that weird well i wonder why that is 
you're insane. <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm joking. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's. <laughs> Okay, so this next track, Retrograde, this, Jason, is what I wanted Yellow Moon to be. It's got that lift that we get in a track like In Hiding. And I think it's arguably the best song on the album. I said that, uh, you know, it was coming and, 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 and we've arrived. The outro to this song is soaring. It is majestic. It creates a soundscape that I referenced earlier, I think in the last pod, actually. For me, it literally captures Pearl Jam as these middle-aged rockers, but it captures them at their best. And I'm not surprised that it's a Mike song, especially not after a track like uh, Inside Job. And, you know, the layers and textures at the end of this particular track, it sounds like what it must feel like to take flight in a, a song like Given to Fly. Ooh. Excellent. It really does. Um, it, 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 you know, you listen to a song like "Given a Fly," and it's like, okay, fine. He, he's lifting off. He's he is ascending. What does it feel like to be up there? Listen to the last, the, the outro of uh, "Retrograde," and and you'll know. In fact, in some ways, this song feels like a successor to that song. I would argue. I think this is one of the most inspiring, mature, epic songs the band has ever created. It's Eddie's best outro since. The wailing he does in in black off of ten, and in a word, this song to me is just beautiful. It's stunning. Uh, I think I'm right there with you, man. Um, first of all, twelve string guitar. C- glad to see that come out. Oh, of the my, my, I didn't rate it. It's a five out of five for me. Whoa, we got a five. All right, yeah, you, you five. have two fives. A quick escape and retrograde. Wow. They're outstanding. Excellent. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Uh, it's, it's the band is so dynamic in this song. Um, I mean, the, the line, it's going to take much more than ordinary love to lift this up. I mean, if you if you don't need that, then I don't know what part of the world you're living in right now, because we all need that line, you know? Um, Agreed. It's, it's interesting. It's a really depressing vibe in lyrics. And it's like we're going backwards as a people, as a species, like forever futures fading out. Like, oh, God, it's so depressing, you know? And then you have this beautiful atmospheric vibe that you mentioned the whole band is kind of doing their bit to create this one atmosphere and even though the whole song is kind of depressing it's the last couple of lines that offer you this hope that we can do is we can turn it around if we come together and it's that point that the, the song just kind of turns up and it gives you that lift that given to fly lift as you just mentioned and mm-hmm. it's like what is it 90 seconds two minutes i don't know how long it is you know actually i think it is two minutes because the first time i heard it I was listening, reading the lyrics, and I got to the end of the lyrics, and I'm like, "How? I thought this was a long song. Let me go back to my player and look. Oh, there's two minutes left? Oh, man, what's this going to be? And it was just fantastic. Mm. Just fantastic. Um, I, I don't know how they pulled that off live, but I am dying to find out. Yeah, <laughs> as am I, to be honest with you. I think it might be heavily boom-influenced. Fine by me. Uh, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Shell won't hold us down. 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 Shell
Moving on, we are at the last song of the album. It is called River Cross. Uh, I'll lead us off here. I'll keep it short and sweet. Um, by the way, I gave that I gave retrograde a four. Oh, solid four. I might go four and a half. You know what? Four and a half. I'll give you a four and a half. I'm bumping oh. it up right now on the pod live. Okay. That's my guy. I Anyways, like River Cross. Um, I have heard this song before when uh, Ed played it at Ohana. So I did. I did listen to this cut um, and when it was just him and the pump organ uh, at Dana Point. Uh, I think it was 2017 he did it. I don't remember off the top of my head if the lyrics are the same, but I remember listening to it. I've only heard it once and I really liked it. And so when I heard this was going to be on the album, I thought, oh man, they are going to dress this up with the full band. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be like indifference, like 2.0. It's going to be great. So it starts off and I'm like, all right, here we go. Organ's gone. Cool. And then all of a sudden it's boom, 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 boom. And then these weird drums like, dun, 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 dun. And I thought, um, I am completely distracted here. I, Ed's <laughs> singing words and all I can hear are fucking drums and fucking kalimba. Pardon my French. But it, it completely threw me out of the vibe of the song. And it just, it, Oh God, it just drove me nuts. And it still kind of drives me nuts to this day. It, it just, it's not as bad as the first time I heard it, but it still bugs me to no end. Um, and there's just overall, there's not enough music happening. Obviously they're trying to add parts to the pump organ, which is obviously the bed of the song. But what they added, the other band members, for me detracts, detracts away from the main vibe of the song that Ed's doing with the organ. It doesn't add to it. So when you when you have that with lyrics that aren't as good to me as retrogrades, for example, you have things like proselytizing and profitizing. It's like, oh, Ed, oh, boy, I'm getting shades of seven o'clock here with the on the noseness. Hmm. Um, it just kind of it just bummed me that I was getting through this song and I'm getting to the last minute of the song and I haven't gotten anything that I really like um, until the share the light won't hold us down refrain mm. at that point i go okay now the vibe is here there's like a, a consistent beat happening the organs really lifting up the atmosphere is growing this i can get behind but man pretty much everything before that irritates me to a certain degree and i wish it didn't okay so could one make the argument that there's actually more happening in this song than indifference? Could one make the argument that this song is actually an answer to the questions raised in a song like indifference? Um, now, count me in the group that prefers Eddie Vedder going the future days or the end route if the band wants to end an album with a song from him like this. This particular track, I thought, benefited greatly from Jeff and I know it, it was driving you nuts but for me I thought it was a highlight of the track and the song has that better man on organ with Brendan O'Brien intimacy to it you know if, you, if for those mm-hmm. who don't know what I'm talking about if you if you get your hands on the verses and vitology reissues there's a great uh I guess uh b-side what, what, bonus what track want? I don't know yeah bonus track I guess where it's essentially uh Ed and Brendan O'Brien O'Brien demoing Better Man and it's just 
Ed singing and Brendan O'Brien on the keys and you get the guitar and the keys and that's it. That's the song, you know, there's no drums and the rest of the band's not there. So for me, that intimacy I thought was really unique and I get that out of a song like River Cross. So the Gigaton review on um, one one of the more well-known Pearl Jam fan sites, The Sky Scrape, says this about the song. It's a simple song, richly adorned, Eddie plays a pump organ, Jeff's playing, creeps around it, Matt's drumming gives it a quiet grandeur, and the whole song feels rich and warm and comforting and tangible. It crawls over and envelopes you. This is Eddie's most raw and plaintive performance on the album, the most naked. It's maybe the first song on the album that allows him to wear his miles. The honesty creates the alchemy that transforms sentimentality into truth beautifully stated there uh highly recommend anyone listening to this who has not had a chance to partake in uh, the sound uh, i'm sorry the skyscrape experience definitely jump in it's a wonderful pearl jam fan site that being said the review here i thought really hit the nail on the head there's something very plaintive and contemplative about this particular performance very honest there is a sentimentality into truth transition happening here. Uh, my rating, I mean, this will surprise you after all the pontificating I just did over this damn track, but <laughs> I, mean, I would give it probably a three. It's not a song that I, I necessarily seek out in the way I would necessarily seek out indifference, but, and I think it largely because it, it feels stylistically like something off of in, Into the Wild, and, and there's a lot of mm, that sound I like. That's a great shout. Yeah. Yeah, but there's also a lot about that sound that I kind of, you know, take it or leave it for me. Um, so, I don't know. I, I thought as an album closer, it was it was a lovely choice. It, of all the songs on the album, I can't imagine any of the other songs. Yeah, it had to close the album. Well, it did have to yeah. close the album. So, it's a fitting end to the album. Um, it, it's beautiful, both musically and lyrically on a lot of levels. I totally understand your frustrations with the track. Um, but at the same time, I, I do think that, you know, if you go back and re-listen to a song like Indifference and you really, you know, count up the contributions of the band and then you look at what they add to a song like River Cross and just imagine that it's literally just Eddie on the pump organ. If you can separate yourself from what you thought or perhaps expected or even hoped that the rest of the band was going to add to the track and you just kind of let it slowly organically grow on its own. So I'm going to be honest with you. And this is where, where um, I think our departure served me. I didn't listen to that song by Eddie and Ohana. So I had never heard yeah, the right. song. I, I specifically had just, I, I avoided it once I became aware of it, but it just seemed to slip through the cracks at the time, earlier in time. So when I realized, oh, wow, like this is a song on Gigaton and here's a track of him playing it live back in, what was it, 2017, you said? Yes. Okay. I, uh, I just hadn't heard it and I said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm consciously going to avoid that. I want to know what you think of it now. Having Uh, heard the the, the live track. Yes. But but, but see, the context is different for me now because now I compare the live track to what 
I have as a baseline being the album, whereas you had the baseline. That's my point, though. Track, I want to see. I, mean? I so, want to see the reverse. Well, you I, I just told you. I mean, the reverse to me was that it was colored very appropriately by the band. That that really there wasn't much more to add to it. Um, I think if I had had your experience and heard it beforehand, I might have thought, "Oh man, I can't wait to hear." Like I, I would have wanted the um, "Sleeping by Myself" treatment, perhaps, right? Where no. you get this very simple, stripped-down song. The whole band comes in, they add all these elements. I don't know, but I'm not saying that, you know, to that degree. Or obviously, in terms of tonality, they're very different tracks. But it, just in the sense that the band adding so much more to me, it was very, it was subtle what they added, but it was, it was also at the you same. You thought it was time. subtle. Matt's drumming and Jem's contribution, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Jeff's contribution, no, not not necessarily subtle in the sense that it doesn't stand out, but subtle in the sense that it doesn't overpower what Eddie's doing in the song. See, you know I disagree. What I, mean? I think it completely distracts me. Uh, well. I, I wanted them to be involved and, and have and, and add parts that elevated and, and, and helped build the the bed of the song but for me it just sounds like they're just playing on top of each other and it's completely different parts that they, they just jammed on top for no particular reason doesn't sound I like it's part of the argument. song I, see, I mean there is an argument to be made that this could have been something truly epic and special if they had really just like worked it up to a crescendo and, right. and let it breathe I completely get that I don't necessarily disagree with it it's just hard because I didn't write the song so I'm inclined to say okay there was a vision here and the song kind of took on a life of its own, and this is what it became. And why did it want to be this instead of something else? And so I read the Josh Evans interview, and it, it's just, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm hearing that this feedback about a song that, you know, like with a song like Comes Then Goes, the band just felt like, hey, we, we, we need to be minimalist here in the way that we contribute. I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, I would love to hear it recut. I would love to hear them completely remake the song. Uh, this will be a great track. Like, you know, Metallica, <laughs> those listening can't see this, but you've got a Metallica shirt on right now. Metallica did a, a, a show with the San Francisco Symphony many years ago. This is the type of song that I would love to see happen with a much bigger backing just to see what it could be. That could be really good. You know? Which is, so... I will. I reserve my judgment to change if I hear this song live and they've done something to it that sounds different and better to my ear. Let's put it that way. Fair enough. All right. We have completed the album review. Um, I don't know if I can really put a number on the whole album. Uh, I guess I could just add up everything and divide by 12, but that's, that's math. I don't really feel like doing math right now. But uh, overall, would you say, where does, it, where does it land for you? I mean, I, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say it places higher than, you know, the first handful of albums. Um, I actually liked lightning bolt a lot more than some. I was actually less of a fan of backspacer probably due to its brevity, which is something that a lot of fans love about that album. Uh, I enjoyed it more than backspacer. Um, I enjoyed it more than avocado i enjoyed it more than riot act i enjoyed it more than binaural so i guess i would probably put it somewhere in that like no code yield range so to be honest with you that's 
that says a lot about a band that's been around as long yeah. as Pearl Jam has. I'd probably slot it in. I'd probably put it on par with Binaural for me. I really like Binaural a lot. Um, so, in, in the thing is, is that obviously we've mentioned it in the first pod that you know where we came into the band and, and the first two albums were really the the tip of the iceberg for me. I, I, I that, that's how I became introduced. So I can't really get many other albums higher than those. And then Vitalogy, No Coder, and Yields kind of hang out in that close second spot, you know? So it's kind of hard to overtake those first five albums, but I would say it's on par with my new album. I really do like it a lot. Um, you know, there are a couple spots in there that don't do it for me, but the rest of the album as a whole does do a lot. Um, and uh, I'm really overall quite happy, quite pleased with what they've come up with after seven years. All right, so let's move on to this week's Lyric of the Week. And it comes from No Code. It comes from In My Tree. And here it is. So uh, rather apropos, (laughs) a song from a track like In My Tree and uh, earlier reference to a a very popular and and, and well-respected Pearl Jam site that takes its namesake from this track. I would say this about the song, Um, you know, in terms of of its placement lyrically, this song was very much, uh, it felt like an isolationist song when I first heard it, like Eddie was essentially hiding himself away from what fame had done to the band after their first two albums. And I think what's, and I, what I love about your, uh, your, our, my selection, really this, this particular one came from you, but what I love about the selection of this lyric is this came from a song at a time in the band's career where they were wrestling what it meant to be who they were at the time. And there is no wrestling at all in gigaton with who they are. This is a band that is very comfortable in their own skin. They understand their, their place in society. They understand their place in American culture uh, on, I should say they understand their place in the global culture because they really are a global band. And they're using that influence in a way to promote positive energy and, and environmentalism and so on. And it's a, a departure in some respects from, you know, this lyric, which essentially was a man writing a song about what it felt like to be very much alone. And there is an element of feeling alone in gigaton, but there's a rejection of that. And so I feel like that particular line is, is an appropriate uh, reflection point to the way gigaton ends and thematically what gigaton encompasses. So I, I couldn't think of a, or I, I couldn't imagine either one of us thinking of a better uh, plot point to reference back into the band's career and kind of, you know, draw some connections to who they were and to who they are now and what they mean globally and domestically to their fan base. I think your point about knowing who they are now versus knowing who they were then, it's interesting because you're absolutely right. I mean, we talked about in the first episode what if happened if what would have happened if you know Dave 
had stuck around and I said they they wouldn't have made no code and they probably would have broken up. And it's it's when they got past that inflection point and, and they started writing no code, yeah, they were looking for ways to buck what they had done or to get out of the spotlight or to reject what they were supposed to do, quote unquote. And this is one of those songs that um, I feel like Ed really wrote for himself, but the rest of the band kind of was like, yeah, yeah, I know I agree, man. And it's just like, you know, I need to get out of this, this, this throng of people and media and, and, and whatever that just wants a piece of us all the time. And I have no time for myself. And all I want to do is get away where I feel innocent, where I feel like me again. I need that to recalibrate. Um, and they did that with the album and they did that with this song. And it's one of those songs that's so over the years been tricky to play live because no one's really ever played it like Jack did. No, right. You know? Matt yeah. has his own way of playing it. I think, what was it, Bonnaroo in 2008, they played it where Stone just starts on the acoustic. They don't even mm-hmm. start it the, the same way. Um, <clears throat> so it's one of those songs that the crowd has always really latched onto in a way that like, well, why would a crowd find that song to be one of like their own? It just it doesn't seem like one of those kinds of songs, but yet it is. And I think going back to our, our first conversation in episode one, they were listening to, and this is 95, 96, there's still a crowd of people who, a bunch of people, young people who need to feel like they're being listened to and, and need to have... Um, and who feel alone. Yeah, they need to have that, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Empathy, there you go. That was a theme in the first episode as well. Um, so I thought this was a good uh, a good lyric that we chose here. And uh, I look forward to... Ready to stand up! Your live cut of the week. So this particular cut comes from the actual no-code tour. Uh, what I found interesting in researching the various cuts of this particular track, there are some wonderful reimagining renditions of this cut later in the band's career. But what I love about this particular cut, it comes from uh, the show in Berlin on November 3rd, 1996. And great show. It is a great show. It really, really was. And if you you revisit that show, what you discover was that Eddie Vedder, you know, and he, he mentions this, I think at some point as an intro to the song Blood, you know, he says, uh, I'm, I'm actually reading the transcript here. He says, all right, we'd like to say thanks. Thanks for coming out. Those of you lucky enough to get tickets, we've had some interesting shows in Germany. I remember every one of them for good and bad, but actually this show is on the radio tonight. So a bunch of other people were eavesdropping. I fucked up. Quite a few times. Thanks for covering up. This next song is called Yada Yada. So what stood out to me here about this track was here they were saying, you know what, we want to broadcast again, you know. And it reminded me of that Atlanta 94 show where they, which to me defined verses. And so for me, this particular show defined no code. Mm. You know, they were, uh, they decided that they wanted to take this, this sound 
um, global. You know, you get a, a you know, it, folks talk about what a world record is, right? You know, uh, you listen to a, an album like Paul Simon's Graceland, and there's there's all these different world beats and different elements there. And I, I feel like No Code was that type of album for Pearl Jam. And so it's very appropriate that their radio show, if you will, happens in a place like Berlin rather than a place like Seattle, you know? And this particular track I thought was was a standout version, both for its soundboard quality, but also because, uh, you know, they had Jack Irons in the track, you know, so it's it really more than anything is a track that needs Jack on it to mm-hmm. be heard the way that it was intended to be heard. And uh, it, I, I don't know, it, 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 it's, it really seems to speak. This is November 3rd, 1996, Berlin.
Oh, man. It's giving me goosebumps just like getting back. I, remember, I think I probably listened to that song or that, that show in my car probably you know, six months ago. You know, you scroll through your your you know, live catalog iPad or iPod as you do. And uh, I put that one on and it just brings me back. And it's just such a great show, great energy. And you know what it is? It's those, those dueling guitars at the end flanking, both Stone and Mike flanking Eddie. For some reason, those high-pitched notes just sound bigger when both of them are playing. Mm. And Eddie sounds fantastic. Jack sounds fantastic. Even through his fuck-ups, doesn't matter. You know? Yeah, you're right. This The song is elevated. It, it really is. Uh, so for me, I thought that was uh, arguably the, the standout performance of that track from that tour. Well, there you go, everybody. Uh, we've completed our Gigaton review. We have our lyric and song of the week and uh, that's it we will see you next time Uh, until then this is the state of love and trust love and trust